0: We are, of course, going through the Book of John. We are in John chapter six. This is a really long chapter, so I'm going to have to skim over some stuff. But it's also a really good chapter, and I and I like it, and I have fun with it. And uh, and breakfast is highlighted a lot in here, so I always think that's good. Uh, maybe not so much in this one, um, but I want to I want to start you with this. And again. Uh, It might be good to open your Bibles to John chapter 6 so you can follow along with us. Uh, I'll read some parts to you, some parts I'll just tell you the story. Uh, You have your notes if you want to follow along there. But I will tell you this, at the end of the day, it is mostly about faith. Jesus is mostly trying to teach a large group of people about faith. Uh, they, they, They don't take the lesson well, but... Here's what I want you to think about. Is our faith in what he does or in who he is? That's the question. You know how I like rhetorical questions, so there'll be several rhetorical questions for you to ponder, but that's the first one. Is our faith in what he does or in who he is? Now, the trick is, it's kind of both and, because we want to have faith that God will do things and that he will do things through us. And we want to have faith in who he is. But one is definitely more important, and I'll just spoil it for you. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, faith works through love, correct? And God is love. So faith works through who God is. And so it's pretty clear which one comes first. But I want you to, I want to set you up with that because I want you to watch for that as we go through this passage. That It's really important that our faith is in who he is and not just what he does. If it's just in what he does, uh, we're going to end up like uh, most of the folks in this chapter, and it's not a good ending, okay? All right, so let's jump in. Uh, I'm going to blow through the first 15 verses uh, and just highlight a couple because um, here's what happens, uh, and you're familiar with this story. Uh, what's happened is Jesus has gone over the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He's in a, a place where there's no cities nearby. He's got 5,000 people that are following him around. And it's dinner time and there's no way to feed them all. And so Jesus feeds all 5,000 people. That's probably 5,000 men, not counting their families. So it's probably a lot more than 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Anybody ever tried that? Okay, So this is the story. He feeds them with five loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, by the way, takes up 12 baskets full of leftovers, which is more than five loaves and two fish, right? So he starts with not enough and ends up with more than he had, uh, or the disciples do, which is pretty cool. Uh, So that right there is just encouraging. But uh, uh, I'm not going to go any further in the story other than to point out these things. Because we want to focus on the people, uh, not the miracle at this point. So in verse 2, we read, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So the first thing we want to notice is that the crowd is following him because of the signs, specifically healings. And this isn't bad in John chapter 5, which we just looked at. uh, One of the ways, one of the things that Jesus listed that testifies of him are the signs. He said, the signs testify of me. The signs tell you who I am. So you can have faith in who I am. So this is not bad. But by the time, and they've already seen him healing, but by the time he feeds everyone, and this is cool because this miracle touches virtually every single person present there. They all got food. and I bet it was pretty good. Uh, So just, you know, based on what he does with wine. Uh, so, right? So, in verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet, not a prophet, the prophet, who has come into the world. Now, we encountered this in John chapter 1, when the uh, Jewish leaders were asking John the Baptist who he was. They wouldn't know, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Right? And so the prophet is the one in Deuteronomy 18 that Moses talked about, said there will be a prophet like me uh, who God will raise up. And Moses said, you need to listen to him. This is interesting because they think he's the prophet, but they, it doesn't seem like they remember that you need to listen to him part. Right? Something to think about. And then in verse 15... Something interesting happens. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, we've talked about this enough. You guys should have this. Uh, The Jewish prevalent idea of the Messiah at that time was the one who would restore the kingdom of Israel and kick Rome out, and they would rule themselves. That was primarily what the Messiah was for, as far as they were concerned. They had lost much sight of him beyond that, right? So, they're really excited about making him king. Why? Because their circumstances will improve immediately when the Messiah begins to reign in Jerusalem, right? Now, a couple things. You would think... uh, that guys who want to make Jesus king would make really good disciples, wouldn't you? These are good followers. But are they, the word disciple means follower or learner. Uh, Are they following? Are they learning? Yeah. Uh, Following and I'm going to make you king by force are not compatible. All right? They're on their agenda. They're not really even listening. They didn't even ask him if he wants to be king. They're just like, you're the prophet, you can feed us. This is going to work well for us. This will greatly improve our circumstances. Let's make him king, regardless of his opinion. Right? And so, here's what I want to ask you. One of those rhetorical questions as we go through this. Uh, Do we ever try to force Jesus to serve our purposes and call it faith? Huh. Interesting. For example, do we... uh, Go, Jesus, make this person king. It'll make our circumstances better. Uh Too soon? (laughs) Jesus wants this guy to be king. What happens if he doesn't make him king? And we called it faith. We have to hang on and keep believing that God's going to make this guy king. He's still not king. Now, I'm not trying to be too political here. I'm just saying... We can get hung up on our circumstances. We can we can latch on to something and call it faith. And it's more about us than about Jesus. It's about our purposes, not his purposes. Uh, it can be anything. It can be uh, I'm believing God that I'm gonna be the uh, the CEO of this company I'm working at. I mean, that's great. And again, we want to believe for the stuff. We want to believe, we want to pray for favor, we want to believe for those things. But did God pick that out, or did you just pick that out? What are, what are your motives? Why do you want to be CEO? Does God want you to be CEO? CEO? Maybe God wants you to be praying for the guy who is CEO. And maybe get him saved. I don't know. But it, here's the point. I don't have a problem with you praying for good things, but we might want to get God's opinion. We might not just want to pick something. And go. I have faith for this. Well, does God want you to do that? I don't know, but I have faith for it. He's going to do it because He works for me. I mean, He because He loves me. <laughs> All right, just a rhetorical question there for you to think about. Now, in verses 16 through 21. I am not going to read them. They're just fun. Uh, So here's what happens. Jesus has sent the disciples on ahead of him over the Sea of Galilee because he went up to the mountain to talk to Dad. And he comes down, and he needs to catch up to the disciples, so he just starts walking across the Sea of Galilee. (laughs) And this is, you know. And uh, he gets to the boat, and they they flip out a little bit, and they think he's a ghost. Now, it's not in this, it's not in John, but if you read the parallel section in Matthew... This is the part where uh, Peter goes, hey, if you're really Jesus, tell me to come out there and walk around with you. And Jesus goes, do it, dude. And so he comes out, and he walks around a little bit, and then he sees the waves, and he, and he sinks, and he goes, oh, you of little faith. Remember, this chapter's about faith. And he throws Peter back in the boat, and he gets in the boat, and the next thing they know, they've been rowing hard against the wind all night, and the next thing they know, they're at shore, like that. that not that awesome? So this whole section, uh, Jesus uh, walks on water and then translocates an entire boat full of disciples. And that's just, that's just their day. So, uh, you know, Peter gets home and, and he says, how'd your day go? Or he goes into the synagogue. How was yesterday with Jesus? Well, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, gave us 12 baskets, uh, sent us ahead, walked out to meet us in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, And then, bam, we were on shore. How was church today? (laughs) Right? Pretty good. So, in the midst of this incredible display in 24 hours of what Jesus can do, he's fixing to have this crowd of 5,000 again and do absolutely nothing. And there's a reason he's going to do absolutely nothing. So let's begin to read about that. In verses 22 through 27, and we'll look at a couple of these verses in a minute. In verses 22 through 27, uh, Jesus is going to use the natural to reveal the spiritual. and He does this a lot, so you need to pay attention. He's going to use the natural food, their hunger, to reveal the Something in the spirit realm. And the reason he does that is because he almost always prioritizes our hearts over our circumstances. And so we will come to Jesus and talk to him about our circumstances and sometimes he starts talking to us about our hearts. It's going to happen here. And it's very confusing because we thought we were talking about this and now we're talking about this. I wanted to talk about my circumstances, and Jesus wanted to talk about my heart. It's almost as if he feels like fixing my heart is more important than fixing my circumstances. That's good. Right? And so we need to know that about him, because he does that in the Bible a lot. In John chapter 3, remember, Nicodemus comes to him at night. And he goes, I just, I just wanted to have a conversation. And he goes, you got to be born again. What? Born of the Spirit. I, are we talking? Wait a minute. I, are we talk, This is gross. Are we talking about my mom and her womb? No. I'm talking about spiritual things. And by the way, since you've come to me at night, uh, you're going to have to make a choice. John three seventeen and eighteen, whether you're going to come into the light or choose darkness. Right. Next chapter. Woman at the well. Hey, you want some living water that'll never you'll never thirst again. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm tired of coming to this well. Is he talking about water? No, he starts out talking about a drink. He's not talking about water anymore. He's talking about the Spirit of God. He keeps doing that, and it usually takes people a while to catch on to what he's doing. These people, by the way, never catch on. Okay, so we need to watch for this in our lives because he will do this to us. Have you ever had that happen to you? You think you're talking to God about your circumstances and the next thing you know we're discussing your heart he's done that to me sometimes and I find this annoying it's almost like he's saying I'm going to leave you in those circumstances because of what it's doing in your heart yeah, that's good. and I'm I'm going well God you're you're not answering my prayer about my circumstances I didn't ask you to fix my heart. I wanted my circumstances fixed, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm God. I'll do it my way." That's right. Ever happened to you? Okay, because it's going to happen here, and we need to understand this. We need to look for this. We need to look for that flip when, uh-oh, he's gone spirit realm on me. I got to think differently about what he's saying. Okay, so let's look at what he says. So, uh, they're having this problem, and what's happened is they've woken up. The, the, Jesus is gone. The disciples are gone. They know the disciples left in a boat. They know Jesus went up on a mountain. Jesus has not come back down from the mountain. They didn't know that he could walk on water. They're confused, and they have to go find Jesus. Uh, it is better to be a disciple following Jesus than have to re-find him. But they have to re-find him. And they do, and they go, Jesus, how did you get here? What do they want to talk about? How did you get here? His answer has nothing to do with that. Let's look at his answer in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Hey, we found you. We're just curious. How'd you get here? He goes, I'm just not even going to talk about that. I'm just going to reveal your heart. You are not following him now because of the signs. You're not following me now because of who I am. Remember, the signs are supposed to point to who he is, the Messiah. It says, you're following me because of your needs, because of what I can do for you, because I fed you yesterday. You're only here because you want breakfast. That's it. I'm going to make it very clear in a minute. They're only there because they want breakfast. Jesus, how'd you get here? Hey, What do you care? You just came for breakfast. You're not following me because of the signs. You just want your needs met. That is a really interesting way to start a church service. Verse 27. Now, right here, he's shifted it. He's going to give them this massive spiritual truth. They're not going to get it. And then we're going to get the rest of the chapter. But we need to get it. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the Father has set his seal on him. This is sounding a lot like the woman at the well, isn't it? And the water thing, living water. I'm not, don't worry about the natural water. How about some living water? How about the Holy Spirit living inside you? This is starting to sound a lot like that. Don't labor for natural food. There is the food which the Son of Man will give you, that is spiritual food, right? And so he's basically telling them the whole point of this chapter is, uh, look, I fed you lunch yesterday, but you need to learn to seek spiritual food from the sun. I'm not doing breakfast this morning. I'm doing spiritual stuff, right? You need to learn to seek spiritual food from the sun, and we need to learn that, don't we? Okay, and so... Uh, Let's read on, and we'll read this whole next passage, uh, which I've entitled Breakfast Versus the Bread of Life. And again, look at how how much it parallels uh, John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, except uh, it doesn't go the same way at the end. Um, They're basically going to try and manipulate Jesus into giving them breakfast. Just want you to know, in case you want to try this sometime. Jesus cannot be manipulated, no matter how good you are. You're thinking you can make a deal. Here's the problem, and we're going to read it in verse 38. He only does the will of the Father. You can't manipulate him. They can't manipulate him. You can't make a deal. He just does what the Father says, right? So let's look at it. So, then they said to him... uh, Wait a minute. Yeah, on verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Because that bread thing's pretty cool that you did. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That you believe me. What works can we do? Look, let's just start with believe in me. This is the work of God. Believe in me. You're hung up on the works. Believe in me. Right? And therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Now, they uh, followed him because of the healings. Yesterday, he fed 5,000 people. And what do they want now? A sign, right? But not really a sign. Let's read on. They're manipulating. What sign will you do that we may believe? Uh, Here's just an example off the top of my head. Our fathers ate man in the desert and it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You guys see this? Just an idea, Jesus, or a sign you could do. You could do the manna thing and they got their fork and their spoon and What sign will you do? Hint, hint, hint. Right? Jesus doesn't fall for it. So, uh, we are on, I lost my place, 32. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. What's that? Jesus. It's really easy for us to understand this now, right? They did not get it. They did not understand For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. That's the exact same answer that the woman at the well. in John 4 said, give me this water that I may not come here and draw anymore. And he says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You guys understand this, what's going on? Let's see, I'm reading until 35, right. Okay, so you understand what's going on. They want breakfast, he wants to give them the bread of life, but it's spiritual bread, and they want natural bread. And let's see how they do. The difference is, in John 4, he has kind of the same thing with the woman at the well, and you remember he does no signs And everyone believes, the entire town believes. You see why he was so excited about going to that town? Here, he's doing all kinds of signs, but not today. But he's healed them, they've followed him, he's fed them, he's doing the signs. And they're not going to believe. It's exactly the opposite response of the Samaritan town. And he goes into this in verses um, 36 through 40. So let's read that real quick. Okay, Uh, where are we at? All right, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. What's the problem? They don't believe in him. They're very excited about the signs. They're very excited that he can make food, but they don't believe he's who he says he is. They really don't believe he's the prophet. He's the Messiah. Okay, Um, but I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Now, this is very clear what he's talking about. Uh, And I will raise him up on the last day. So, he's telling them the problem is, They don't have faith in him. Now, how many signs have they seen? How many of you have seen a bunch of people healed and then a crowd of 5,000 fed with five loaves and two fish? Right? They've seen some signs. I want you to think about something here because it's really easy. Uh, I want to have faith for the stuff. I want to see the sick healed. I want to keep praying for that. We want to keep pressing into that. But it's really easy to get our focus on that where we miss the point where it's just about the signs. And I'll say it this way, and uh, this is in your notes, uh, so you can have this. It's very clear in Hebrews that the signs got Israel out of Egypt but did not get them into the promised land. Do you just want to believe that Jesus saves you because of the signs, or do you want to walk with him into the promised land? The signs got him out of Egypt, didn't get him into the promised land. Why not? It says in Hebrews at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, it says that uh, they perished in the wilderness, having heard the same word, the same promises, but it says in uh, Hebrews 4, two, they did not mix the word with faith. They didn't believe it. They saw the signs, but they really didn't believe it. And when push came to shove, when the 12 spies came back, and 10 of them said, They're big and scary and we can't do it. Uh, They went, yeah, God can't do it. God's not really, we should have just stayed in Egypt. This was a bad idea. And they died in the wilderness because they couldn't walk in faith with God. Right? And so I want you to, again, this is a tricky thing. Uh, We want to see signs and wonders. But uh, we're not pursuing uh, the signs and wonders for themselves. Because they won't necessarily do it. Let's keep going. So, in verse 41 and 42, uh, they get offended. Now, uh, what he's just said, um, yeah, okay, so here's why they're offended. He said, uh, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they went, eh, (laughs) heresy, not buying it. Uh, In verse 41 and 42, they basically go, wait a minute. Now, he's not the prophet anymore, okay? He's the guy we know from Nazareth. Wait a minute. We know his parents, Joseph and Mary. I remember Mary when she was like seven months pregnant. You know, big Mary, swollen ankles. (laughs) He did not come down from heaven. I know where he came from. Uh, Someone needs to talk to him about where babies come from. That guy's a science denier. Right? And so they're offended because they know where Jesus came from. They know his mom and dad. He's in the region where he grew up. And they can't see past the natural. So, rhetorical question. Can we see and hear what the Spirit is doing or do we get caught by natural limits? God can't do that or that can't be true. I understand that, so whatever God's saying about it can't be the way it works. It can happen, right? Yep. All right, I'll let you, you ponder that and we've got a lot more to cover. Verse 43 through 51. He, uh, now again, he's gone from, he started church, he's gone from you're not going to have breakfast to now everybody at church is offended. Okay? Or not everybody, but a lot of them. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, probably not doing near as well right now as he did at offending, but uh, but he's doing pretty good. All right, so verses 43 through 51, let's read through this. Uh, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, if you're a real hardcore Calvinist, you might be excited here, Um, but it's not saying, I don't think this verse is saying what you think it means. Uh, so he's not, anyway, let's keep reading. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Therefore, anyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So let's just make this clear. He's not saying, I'm picking and choosing, you know, uh, you're going to come to the Father, you're not. You're going to come, you're not. You're on my team, you're on the devil's team. Uh, he's not doing that. Amen. He's going, uh, Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He's going, the only ones that are going to come to me are the ones who have listened to the Father, who have read the word and heard it. So he's not saying, I'm just picking and choosing. He's saying, the ones who hear the Father come to me. All right? I want to make sure you understand that. Now, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So he's just really trying to bring this point home. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. That's a good point, don't you think? You guys are after manna. Manna didn't save them. It just sustained them to get them to the wilderness. They died. They didn't even get to the promised land. And he goes, uh, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I want to give you bread that you'll live forever. Him, Jesus. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and he's doing pretty well until here. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And again, they go, eh, flesh? No, right? Now, here's the thing. One, I want to make sure you understand the point He's saying only those who hear the Father come to Jesus, the bread of life. He's not saying he's picking. He's saying he won't draw those who won't listen because listening is how he draws us. He says we respond. So if we don't listen, we don't get drawn, right? But the second thing he says is that we need to feed on him and that will give us life. And he talks about feeding on his flesh. He's the bread of life. Now, we right now understand what that means, right? Because we know what he did with his body. They didn't understand that. So let's see how they react in verse 52. Uh, Then the Jews there quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Have they clued in that he's talking about spiritual things? No, they're still stuck in the natural. And so they're having a problem understanding this. Now, I get that because he's talking here, Uh, when he says his flesh, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about his body given for us. We understand this. They haven't experienced this yet. They haven't seen this. And so they're offended because they cannot understand. Time for a rhetorical question. Do we ever get offended when Jesus doesn't explain himself to us? Do we ever get offended when Jesus doesn't explain himself to us? Jesus, why did you let that bad thing happen? You need to answer me, young man. Until you do, I'm not coming to church. (laughs) Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? All right, just a rhetorical question. Now, Jesus is going to go all in. He's got him pretty well offended here. He's really, this is an amazing church service. He's done nothing supernatural but offend people. And Let's read verses 53 through 59, and he's going to just push them right over the edge. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You can see why they flipped out. Yeah? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Again, we know he's talking about spiritual stuff. They haven't gotten this. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, he says three things. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, feed on me. We get it. They didn't because they haven't seen the Last Supper. That's a few chapters on. That hasn't happened yet. The disciples don't get that he's going to break the bread and pour the wine and say, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They don't know that we're going to celebrate In churches all over the world, weekly communion, remembering how his body uh, was given for us, how his blood was shed for us as the living sacrifice, the Lamb of God. They don't understand any of that. All they know is he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and they can't get it. They can't understand that. And so, um, they're offended. Now, another rhetorical question. Has Jesus ever said anything to you that you don't understand yet? Yet. Because the apostles were going to understand this, but they weren't going to understand it for another year or two. I I love the story that uh, uh, Sean Bolts tells of a significant prophetic word he would get over and over. It had numbers in it in dreams. And he didn't know what it meant for like 10 or 12 years until he moved to L.A., he went to a certain place, and he saw those numbers. And all of a sudden, this word he'd been getting for 10 or 12 years, he had a perfect understanding of what it meant. Sometimes, faith means we're a little bit ignorant. We're following along with partial knowledge. Has Jesus ever said anything to you? Maybe, maybe a prophetic word you don't understand yet, but you're praying new Maybe a scripture that you've read, and you go, I feel like this is important, but I don't get it. So we don't understand yet, and we keep going. Another thing here. Just a rhetorical question. Uh, He says, feed on me. Do you know how to feed your spirit man on Jesus? Now, I know. I know how to eat. But you have no idea what my spirit man looks like. Is he well-fed? Is he malnourished? Can you tell when your spirit man is malnourished? Do you know what to do about your spirit man if it's malnourished? Do you know how to feed Your spirit man on Jesus, that's the entire point of this chapter. Feed on me. If you don't know how to feed on him, your spirit man, you should learn. And we can help you. I'll give you some clues. Now, let's keep reading uh, because more interesting stuff is going to happen. I'm running out of time. Uh, Verse 60 through 62. Uh, Therefore, many of his disciples. Now, he didn't say... Just the Jews who were following, because he saw the signs, or who happened to live in that region and showed up for church that day, these are disciples. These are guys that have been following him around. Some many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, "This is a hard saying. Who can understand it?" And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, "Does this offend you? What if then you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before?" So here's what's going on. He's got guys who are following him who are now offended because they don't know how to process this spiritual truth. They don't understand because they can't understand. They're offended. He goes, you're offended because I said I came down from heaven? Are you going to be offended when you see me ascend back into heaven? Right? It's going to happen. Those who are still following him are going to see it. Some of these guys won't because they're going to walk away. But what I want you to see is his disciples got offended. Right? Just because they couldn't understand. We're going to have to come to grips with there's things that God isn't always going to make us understand. Or maybe we're not capable of understanding at that time. But he is going to try and let them off the hook in verse 63. In verse 63, he's going to explain it and make it very clear. He's going to begin to talk about the Spirit just like he did in John chapter 1 when we saw, I told you, we're just going to keep seeing this. In John 1, uh, we see him as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In John 3, you must be born again of the Spirit. In John 4, uh, let me give you living water, the Spirit of God dwelling in you uh, to give life to you. Right. So he's going to go there again in verse 63 and he says it is the Spirit who gives life. So he makes it clear, guys, I'm talking about the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about breakfast. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So he tells them very clearly, guys, I'm the, the eat my flesh think, drink my blood, it's spiritual words. You know? And they still don't get it. And uh, by the way, this gives us a clue his words are spirit, and they are life. This gives us a clue as to one of the ways we feed on Jesus. His words, right? They're spirit. They're life. We eat the word. The uh, Bible talks about meditating on the word. The word for meditate is ruminate. It's what a cow does when it chews the cut. We chew on it, and we chew on it, and we swallow it, and we bring it back up, and we chew on it some more, like a big cow, Right? This is one of the ways we feed on Jesus. We just feed on his word. We ruminate. We get it in us. We don't just read it for principles or for, we, 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 we get it in our spirit. There are other ways that we feed on him. but That's one. Now, verse 64 and 65, really just going to reiterate something. Um, he says, uh, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said to them, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now again, he's not saying, My Father's just picking some of you and, and some of you he's decided you're going to hell no matter what you do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying uh, belief in Jesus is the standard by which the Father chooses who will come to him and who won't. Right? So again, he said uh, two things here. Listen. And the Father will uh, cause you to be drawn to Jesus and believe. And the Father will cause you to be drawn to Jesus. The two things we need to do, listen and believe, right? Hear Jesus and believe what he says. It's that simple. Those the Father will bring to him. If you don't want to listen and you don't want to believe, the Father's not going to draw you to Jesus. It's that simple. Now, let's look at the response, verses 66 through 69. And there is a good response and a bad response. And you want to try and choose the good one. But some I'm sorry, 66, where am I at? Oh, from that time, many of his disciples, not just the guys that came in from the nearby town, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Why? Because they were offended. Why? Because they didn't understand. And he was saying hard things. Right? That's scary. And then Jesus turned to the 12, and said, do you want to go away also? So he's doing a reverse altar call. Uh, I know you've been following me, but those guys are leaving because they got offended, and there's the door, and if you hurry, you can catch up with them if you want to. How's that for church? And I haven't done any signs today, I'm just finding out who believes who I am. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't seem concerned that he's just emptied his church. And Simon Peter uh, gets it right. There's a 50-50 chance with Simon. <coughs> this is one of the times he, he nails it. Simon Peter answered and says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, he gets it right. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Did you see it? He says, no, I know who you are. I'm not leaving. I don't know what you're doing right now. This is the worst church service we've ever had. I have no idea what you're talking about with eat the flesh, drink the blood thing because we haven't had the last supper yet and I don't really even understand the cross yet. But I know who you are and so I'm sticking with it. You see where he had faith in who he is, not just what he does? Because what he was doing right then, I guarantee you, Peter had no better understanding of eat my flesh, drink my blood than the disciples who left. I guarantee you, you interview Peter. Hey, you, you call all that? No, that scares me. I don't know what he's talking about. I just, I'm not even going to ask. I, I know who he is. I'm just going to keep walking. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, right? We get it. It's easy for us. I guarantee you, he did not understand that. But he made the right decision. You are the Son of God. Here's the thing I want to give you some things to think about. First is this Jesus will not meet all of your expectations, it'll never happen. Not because he's not able but because your expectations won't always be the right ones. And your understanding will always be limited. And so if your faith is in him meeting your expectations, you are guaranteed to be disappointed at some point, possibly offended. He will not meet all of our expectations, but his character will never disappoint us. Do you understand the difference? Who he is will never disappoint us. He may not meet your expectations, but his character will never disappoint you. Gary talked about this last week when he talked about God being good. We talked about what I call the three non-negotiables that are in the Bible. God is love. God is good. God is just. He may not meet my expectations, but whatever he does, even if I'm expecting him to change my circumstances and he leaves me in difficult circumstances to work on my heart, I can be confident who he is. He is good. Whatever He's doing, it's good, and it's loving, and it's just. You understand? It's so important that our faith is in who He is, not just in what He does. Now, let me just say, make a couple statements here to illustrate that, and then we're going to finish up and go back into worship. So, we have a choice when we have faith. Are we having faith for better circumstances? Or for a better revelation of Jesus. And it's not that you can't do both. But where is our faith primarily? And uh, if you're not sure, uh, evaluate your prayers and they'll tell you. Do most of your prayers, and again, I, I don't have any problem praying for stuff. I, right now, God, I pray for a really good lunch and a nap. Amen. <laughs> no problem with a prayer like that. But you never know. God might say, I might get in the car and he might say, hey, I want you to fast. And then instead of napping, go visit this person. It could happen. I'm hoping not. <laughs> Do you understand? Expectations. So are we, are our prayers more about fixing our circumstances or about better revelation of him? I think we should have some of both. But I think if you evaluate it and all your prayers are about your circumstances, we, we may be shifting into this place we don't want to be. Our prayers ought to be about, man, I need a better revelation of Jesus. I need to feed on him. And I need to remember Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, hey, don't worry about your needs, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. The Gentiles worry about that stuff. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Your father knows what you need, and he'll take care of it. But seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He says, well, you can can seek me for your circumstances, but if you'll seek me for me, I'll take care of your circumstances anyway. All those things will be added to you. I'll give you what you need. Right? You Remember that passage? And so we do this first. So signs, which we are after, we are absolutely after signs. We want to see sick people healed. Signs uh, lead to faith in who he is. They're supposed to lead to faith in who he is. People are supposed to see signs and go, Jesus is God. But they're not supposed to be their own end. And Here's what I want you to see. If we pursue signs and wonders, if we do signs and wonders, remember also in the Sermon on the Mount, there's some people who say, Jesus, didn't we do signs and wonders in your name? And he says, yeah, but I didn't know you. That ought to make us nervous. I didn't know you. Depart from me. So we got to know him. We got to pursue intimacy. Sides can lead to faith in who he is or should lead to faith in who he is, but if we don't feed on Him, if we don't know Him, if we don't pursue the man, not just the signs, they will end up doing to us what they did to these people. They will increase our sense of self-entitlement, and they will set us up for offense. We'll get offended because Jesus doesn't give us breakfast, because Jesus doesn't answer our prayer, because Jesus didn't heal that person, right? So you understand that fine line, that difference. We have to be in it for him. So here's what the beauty of having our faith in who he is does. What he does no longer matters because who he is doesn't change. What he does or doesn't do won't affect my faith in who he is. So, for example, if someone comes up here and I pray for them and God miraculously does stuff, I go Praise God. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God powerful? Isn't God good? Isn't God loving? And then someone comes up over here, and I pray for them, and nothing happens. Sorry. Praise God. Isn't God still awesome? Isn't God still good? Isn't God still loving? Neither of those things affect my faith in who he is. I can be free of worrying about results. That doesn't affect my faith. My faith isn't who he is. And I'm just going to keep going for better results. But the results don't matter. Who he is matters. He's always good. That doesn't change. Amen? And I'll bet, I'll bet you, the more of a revelation I can get of that, I'll get better results. Than trying to have my faith in the results. You with me? All right. Let's have the band. One of the ways, that's you, baby. (laughs) <laughs> one of the ways she was pondering is all good that we uh, feed on jesus is meditating on his word another way might be singing his word or, or worshiping or being in his presence and so i'm going to give you the next 25 minutes or so just to feed on jesus as anybody hungry in their spirit man all right well then you should let jesus know and then we'll see where we end up amen